Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vinitali International Wine and Spirits Exhibition. The 54th edition of Vinitali was held from 10 to the 13th of April. If you missed it, don't worry. Go to vinitaliplus.com for on-demand recordings of all the sessions from the exhibition. And remember to save the date. The next edition of Vinitali will be held from the 2nd to the 5th of April 2023. Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Cynthia Chaplin, and this is Voices. Every Wednesday, I will be sharing conversations with international wine industry professionals, discussing issues in diversity, equity, and inclusion through their personal experiences working in the field of wine. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate our show wherever you get your pods. Hello, and welcome to Voices. This is Cynthia Chaplin, and today I'm delighted to welcome Lamar Covert. Lamar is from Philadelphia, so we're both Midwesterners, which is kind of a fun connection. I'm sitting here in Verona, and he's in Pennsylvania, but it just shows how small the world really is. He's the CEO at CYL Hospitality Group, handling a lot of accounts and catering and events management, getting things going for people who are coming into the business. He's a certified sommelier and a partner at Black Oak Wine Club, which just opened up new premises in Philly in the autumn of 2021. So thanks for making the time today, Lamar. I totally forgot it was President's Day, so I got you out of bed early. My bad. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, thank you. Thank you for that. I really appreciate it. You know, it, it 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 doesn't bother me to wake up early when it's something that you love and you know something you love to talk about. So yes, I'm I'm excited. Exactly. Oh well, I'm glad. Thank you very much. So I am I am fascinated by sort of what you're into these days, but I really want to know how you got to where you are. How did you get into wine? Like I did not find wine at all until I went to college, and then it kind of found me. What was your road into the sector? How did you How did you come into the wine biz? So how did I get into the wine industry? Um, so with, you know, me working in the nightlife and the hospitality space, um, in my demographic, it was a lot of spirits. It was a lot of, you know, sweet liquors and things like that. So as I got older, I began to dive into it probably around like early twenties, honestly, just curious, just curious about it. And my my life pretty much changed one night. I was on a date and there was a guy, an African, African-American guy, and he was, you know, well manicured. He was, you know, he was on a date as well. And he was actually on a date with two women. Oh, wow. Good for him. It, you know, <laughs> so in my early 20s, you know, seeing that, I said, wow, you know, like how how can I do this one day? Right. But uh, <laughs> aspirations, <laughs> we all have aspirations, aspirations, right. So the only wine at that time that I was drinking was a Sauvignon Blanc and, you know, mass produced Sauvignon Blanc, you know, Cavett, Barefoot, Yellowtail. And he had a glass of red wine. And I asked the waiter what type of wine he was drinking. And he told me it was a glass of Merlot. So I ordered that glass of Merlot, you know, just just trying to seem as if, you know, I knew what I was doing because I was on a date as well. And I got that glass of Merlot and my life changed. I never drank red wine until I went to school. So, you know, throughout my early 20s, all the way up until, you know, now, you know, mid 30s, I was drinking red wine for a long time. And I just went down, a you know, like a wormhole of, of research at that point. I would go to the the local, you know, liquor shop and I would, 
you know, buy Merlot. And one of the sales representatives one day said, listen, if you if you like Merlot, then you would like something like this. And they um, suggested Cabernet Sauvignon. And I began drinking Cabernet Sauvignon and I stopped drinking Merlot. So I just went down a wormhole of drinking Cabernet Sauvignon at that point. And um, what really did it was I was in New York one time at a small wine shop and I was with a group of people. Most of them were women at the time. So I was showing off a little bit, right? So I, I, I asked the guy, you know, I asked him for a, a wine suggestion. He asked me my price and I said, well, $50. You know, I never spent $50 on a bottle of wine ever. So, I, you know, I was just like showing off, making it seem like I knew what I was doing because I was so curious about wine at this point. I figured if I spent $50, I would get a better bottle of wine. So he asked me what I drink and I told him, you know, I, I, drink, I drink big, you know, full body wines like Merlot and Cabernet. So he said, listen, um, try this. And he gave me a bottle of Bordeaux. Oh, my goodness. And blew your mind. Blew my mind, right? It was it, it, it was a whole new world. It was a whole new world. It literally was like going to another country and never seeing, you know, any of the, you know, the, the scenery. For, you know, he gave me this bottle of Bordeaux. I think it was a Chateau La Ravie, uh, Aubryon. And on the ride back home, I literally was glued to Google about Bordeaux. And I just went, you know, I went on a journey. I went on a trip. So I'm, I'm guessing you didn't get a lot of dates after that, if you're Googling wine <laughs> on the way home. Right. All I, could, all I could think about was wine at that point. So yeah, this was probably around 2008, I want to say 2008, 2009, probably. So I just went down a wormhole of research and every article I could find, every YouTube video, every book, I, you know, I would just buy everything and also the wine itself. And, and we know how expensive that can get. So I just bought a lot and I would just sit in the house and read and I would sit in school and, you know, be at work just reading and Googling and tasting wine and trying to understand, you know, all of these tasting notes and aromas and things like that, you know, which I didn't grasp until I went to school. But I would like to say, you know, that that time that I did that research on my own, it kind of prepped me for when I went to school. And, you know, I felt comfortable being in school at that time because, you know, I, I did, you know, five, six years of research before I even, you know, took a class. And that led me to taking online classes. I took some free online classes as well, you know, um, just out of curiosity. And yes, I've been on this journey ever since. Ever since. It's it's amazing how addictive it is, isn't it? It's uh, yeah. Once you start, once you start dipping your toe in, you, you can't come back out again. All of a sudden, you're you're in, and that's it. Oh, I I love that. So you you did a load of prep work on your own, uh, and then you decided to become a sommelier. Where did you do that? I went to the wine school of Philadelphia. Instructor Keith Wallace. He is like you know a, a renowned psalm a wine consultant. He's also a winemaker. He um, he created the curriculum for the National Wine School, uh, NWS, which is, you know, basically a, a, an accreditation agency, just like, you know, CMS and WSET. But he also started his own wine school in Philadelphia. And um, through visiting wineries in Pennsylvania with my sister Ebony, we had made a, a relationship with some winemakers and, you know, we would go so much and, you know, we would taste wine so much and I would have conversations with these winemakers. And, you know, one day he said, listen, man, every time you come here, we have these in-depth conversations. 
you know, like, you know, what do you do? Like, are you in the industry? And I'm like, no, you know, I, I only do catering and I do events and things like that. Like, I'm actually not in the wine business. He said, well, how do you know so much about wine? I said, listen, man, I'm just enthusiastic about this. And I have a deep thirst for knowledge about wine. This was not something that I grew up with. And, you know, I'm just truly interested in it. He said, well, listen, and he was very blunt. And, you know, this guy, you know, he's, he, he was a Caucasian. He's Caucasian. He said, listen, for people to respect you in the industry, you should go get your your SOM certification. He said, and I'm going to be honest with you, it may be off-putting to some people who do not look like you when you begin to talk about wine. He said, so I would never want anybody to, you know, belittle you or undermine what you're saying. So you should go get the paperwork to back up what you're saying. And... Which is which is harsh, but um, probably really good advice, actually. Yes, and because it because it was good advice, I didn't take it, you know, harshly. I didn't take it a, a wrong way because I had already I had already developed a relationship with this guy. Like we were really cool at this point, so you know, I took it positive. I took it as if he, you know, didn't want me to. He wanted me to prosper, you know, in the industry, and he didn't want me. He didn't want me to be taken advantage of, or he didn't want people to to view me a certain way, because you know we know the wine industry. It can be very, you know, elitist at times. So, um, yeah, often, often <laughs> for sure. Yeah, and and the the sad part about all of this is that you know you were talking to you know what was it two thousand eight two thousand and ten. This wasn't like sixty five years ago. It was it was just recently. So, but it's uh. I think also, you know, as you said, it's not just wine, the wine industry isn't just, you know, fairly not diverse, but it is one of those elitist things where you do have to have the creds and you have to have the paperwork and, and things to show that you know what you're talking about. And I think, you know, if you're coming in, you know, as a as a black person or a person of color uh, or someone else, I think he gave you really good advice. It shouldn't be that way, but, you know, it still is, which is a big problem. Yeah. But, you know, it's par for the course. So um, I'm here. So you so you did it. So you did it. I did it. Yes, I did it. I am, you know, certified SOM. I'm in my um, I'm in progress of becoming an advanced SOM probably by the fall of this year. So I would be a, an advanced SOM by then. So, yes, I'm, I'm still in school. Are you doing it with the court of Master Sommelier in the States? So I'm taking my advance with the same school right now. And they also have, they have a master program, but their master program is more so focused on business. So it's, you know, if you want to start a wine business, I'm not sure if I'm going to go the CMS route. The level of knowledge that I have obtained from, you know, NWS and the Wine School of Philadelphia, I view it as being on par with, um, you know, other accreditation agencies. I know a lot. Of, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I know a lot of people who are, you know, who, who, who sat at CMS and they also did WSET and we have these, these back and forth, we, you know, these conversations and it just reassures me that, okay, you actually know what you're talking about. You actually got the, the proper, you know, knowledge on par with, um, with the other uh, accreditation agencies. So yes, uh, I don't know. I, I, I always thought about going master, but um, it's just not in the cards for me right now, you know. Yeah, it's an interesting time for them too. With you know, they've had the big scandal with the misogyny that was going on. So, 
um, it's pretty clear that they're not the most welcoming place uh, to start with. And, you know, it sounds like Keith has done you right. So that's, that's, and it's, it's great how, how different areas of wine study can really provide you with similar, if not exactly the same information. And it really comes down to your ability and willingness to put in the time and study. And it sounds like you did that in spades. Exactly, exactly. And I, that's how I always viewed it. You know, do do I want to go to CMS? And again, I, I'm not speaking down on, you know, CMS at all. But if I can sit down and I have this thirst for knowledge that I have, and I just want to do this research on my own, you know, every book that has been recommended, you know, recommended in the wine industry, I have that book in my house. Um, so if I want to just obtain this knowledge for myself and for me to be able to move forward and start a wine business or, you know, just, you know, wine businesses in the, in the future, I can do that on my own, you know? So I kind of just like weighing my options at this point. Do I want to go that far? And, and we'll see, we'll see, but I'm going to finish up advanced first and then we'll see what happens after that. Well, you've got some pretty cool options and I'm really excited about your new venture, which is Black Oak. Um, I'm dying to hear how this is going. I know it started up sort of over a year ago, offering, um, you know, classes and things online, industry updates and listing black owned wine brands. And you're hosting a podcast, the wine and cheese girls podcast. I love that. And events and, and vacation getaways and stuff. I love the premise behind it, that wine brings people together and starts conversations because I obviously could talk about wine forever. It sounds like you could too. But your sister said a really cool thing. Um, Ebony said, the biggest thing for me is being able to educate people who look like me and make them feel comfortable walking into and being in rooms that may have been intimidating before. And I'm a wine educator too. And so it's this is important to me to talk about how how to diversify our industry and how to educate people, how to make it more welcoming, how to open doors for people who felt excluded. So what are your goals for Black Oak? I'm excited about this. Black Oak, Black Oak. So um, these wineries that we were visiting, right, when I met uh, my friend Brian, who gave me this information, we were actually um, in the process of getting a wine produced by this winery. And throughout these conversations of getting this wine produced, um, Ebony just called me one day and said, hey, um, you know, we, we're we're finding out about a lot of these black owned wine brands, you know, um, and, you know, we are of the the support black movement, the buy black movement. So she said, listen, you know, we should start this wine club. And literally, it was like a five minute call. She called me really fast. Like, Ebony, she's like a doer. She's a go getter. So, you know, I was probably in the midst of doing something. She called me and I'm just like, yes, yes. Okay. All right. You know, let's do it. Let's do it. You know, just getting back to whatever I was doing. And literally, maybe 48 hours, there was an LLC, there was a website being produced. So it just kind of took, you know, me and my other partners by storm when, um, when this happened. So, you know, the, the, the purpose of it is to expose um, black owned wine brands, black owned winemakers, you know, black owned, I mean, um, you know, people in the industry, uh, you know, black people in the industry, but then also educating our community about wine. So one thing that we, we began doing was uh, we were doing in-home tastings and we were doing uh, online online tastings. 
especially because this started in the pandemic. So, um, you know, we had to start whichever way we could at the time. And, you know, one thing we realized is that a lot of, you know, people from our communities and, you know, when I say that I'm talking about black people, um, we don't come up with wine. We don't grow up. We don't grow up with wine. You know, a lot of us, we grew up with spirits in our households and probably the most thing we had, the, the thing that we had that was closer to wine was like Manischewitz. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, so we don't we don't have a lot of wine knowledge. You know, a lot of our families did not own own land. You know, they weren't vintners. And also in our communities, they don't market wine. You know, they market spirits. They market, you know, sweet liqueurs. So wine was kind of, you know, something that we weren't privy to. And, you know, what I realized is that when somebody tastes wine, when they taste wine, they get turned off and they believe that that's what all wine tastes like. You know, um, if you've been drinking, you know, cognac or whiskey or vodka, once you taste a glass of wine, you're like, oh, I don't like wine. Yeah, you have to recalibrate your whole palate. Exactly. It's like 1400 varietals in the world. Like every wine does not taste the same. So, you know, I, I we felt like one of those barriers to entry was education, you know, educating people about wine, how to taste it, how to smell it, what it looks like, um, you know, what the mouthfeel is, you know, all of those things. And hopefully that will allow people to or that will encourage people to buy more wine, because if we're trying to get people to buy wine and especially with Black Oak, get them to buy Black owned wine. You have to be educated before you would even take that step to even search out a black owned wine brand or, you know, search out wine itself. Most people go to the local liquor store and they buy the thing that they always buy, you know, what they're used to, what somebody else um, told them about. So, you know, it's a it's a it's um there's a lot of levels to a lot of walls to knock down when it comes to wine education in terms of um you know, the African-American community. Yeah, no, and it's it really points out, I mean, wine education really does open up horizons that often people just never saw themselves on. I mean, I, I educate young people, um, generally students doing their, their semester or their year abroad, and I, I teach Italian wine. And most of them, you know, they've, if they've had wine at all, it was Frangia <laughs> or something else. And it is, it is fun to see, as you say, those walls come down. But Particularly, you know, for for the the black population, people of color, who, as you said, you know, this isn't part of your culture growing up. It's not uh, something that you really know anything about. To have the curtain whipped back and and be able to take part and and belong and learn and enjoy. That's I mean, you're providing something that's really amazing. And well, and I love the fact that you've you know you've got the whole interest of of black own wineries at heart too, not just your black consumers, but, you know, black winemakers as well. I was reading about Black Oak because I got really excited about it, creating a community that strives to help the industry respect the buying power of black consumers and the expertise of black wine professionals. I mean, this is really crucial stuff if we're ever going to get the wine sector to be more inclusive. You know, at the moment, only roughly one in every 1,000 winemakers in the U.S. is black. And of the 11,000 wineries in the U.S., less than 1% of them are black owned. I mean, that's just horrific statistics. But the, the thing that's interesting for me is that the first recognized black winemaker was a man called John June Lewis in the 1940s in Virginia. You know, 
what happened? Because clearly he he was not leading the charge or, or somebody made him stop or uh, what happened? Why do we have so few black winemakers and, and black owned wineries? So, you know, in, in my knowledge, you know, or, or what I've, um, you know, what I've researched or what I've talked about, um, you know, there was a lot of, you know, discriminatory practices to black farmers. You know, when you think about the the disadvantages of events like the Homestead Act of 1862, you know, where, you know, there was no redistribution of land, nor were there any reparations after slavery, you know, just various discriminatory acts against black farmers in forms of like federal policies, uh, financial lending, and, you know, just blatant, just like violent theft of their land. You know, we, you know, we were set back. We were set back. And I think that plays a role when we start talking about land. And then, you know, even now with uh, winemakers who own wineries who may not own land, you know, getting distribution, you know, for small, small wineries, you know, that's very hard. You know, sales representatives, the loans that you may need to take out to even open a winery. Um, let alone purchasing your grapes, getting your equipment, you know, getting your, you know, your, your, your workers, your employees. A lot of it, I believe, you know, stems back to being set back so, so long ago, you know, with the, with the level of racism that, you know, black farmers have had to endure, you know, land is, you know, one of the, the main sources of generational wealth within families. So, um, you know, it's 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 hard for these winemakers to um, get visibility outside of their local territories. You know, like I said, you know, with distribution. So, I think you know that's why we are now just getting to the point where you begin to see these black-owned wine brands. And again, a lot of the black-owned wine brands don't own the land. They're just winemakers. Yeah, that's so true. That That is really true. Not only in the U.S., but other places too, South Africa, things like that. People, yeah, a lot of black people coming into the wine industry right now don't own the land. That is that is a very good point. It's, uh, it's going to take a while, you know, but I feel like, you know, we're getting there. We're on track, especially now, you know, within this last year, you know, with... Um, of course, you know, unfortunately, with George Floyd, which pretty much sparked the, you know, the buy black movement, a lot of the black winemakers now, they have gained national distribution, you know, because of that, because everybody is, you know, speaking about them on social media, <clears throat> you know, some of these black owned winemakers, they're getting, you know, n- you know, national press. So I think this last year, pretty much, um, you know, it, 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 it kind of made it evident that you know, we have a power, you know, you know, black people, we, you know, there's a power in our voices, but um, that power in our, in our voices has, you know, pushed these black owned wine brands, you know, to the forefront. And hopefully, you know, it's not a, hopefully it's not just a trend, you know, hopefully people stick by it and they continue to support. Um, I know that certain wines, um, you know, uh, certain, certain black owned winemakers, they can't make certain wines because of, you know, where they're at you know, or the access to certain grapes. But um, as time goes on, I'm sure we'll, you know, they'll figure it out. You know, we'll figure it out as time goes on. But, you know, I just hope it's not a trend. I hope people just continue. Yes. Yeah, me too. Me too. And I think you make an interesting point too, particularly about loans, you know, being able to get 
you know, substantial loans for getting these businesses really, really up and running. I think that's something that the U.S. government really has to take a good look at to make sure that there's fair lending policies going on for black owned businesses, black owned wineries, because capital has to come from somewhere. Well, you're doing your part with Black Oak. I, I'm wondering what um, CYL is doing. You know, are you are you partnering with Black owned wineries for your events, for your catering things? Because that's kind of you're you're wearing two hats. You've got Black Oak and you've got CYL. What are you doing with them? Yes, yes. Uh, so CYL has always been my baby. I've always wanted to be in the hospitality industry. Um, I've always had goals of opening a restaurant. And I have a lofty goal of operating a hotel at some point. So that has always... Talk about needing some loans. Wow. Yes, right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, But that has always been a goal of mine. You know, that one thing that you have always thought about in life that always was in the back of your mind, that was it. You know, hospitality was it. I love hospitality. I love to accommodate people and make people feel good, which is probably why I was in the nightlife industry at that time, you know, being able to provide people an experience, provide them a good time. So right now with CYL, we pretty much took the approach of catering to just begin to put ourselves out there and allow people to, you know, experience, you know, what we do. So we're actually going to launch this summer some, um, some wine, you know, some wine pairing dinners. And I definitely will be reaching out to some black owned wine brands. Um, but again, just having wine period, um, I think is great with, uh, with these pairings because people begin to see different types of wine, right? Like I, there's no black owned wine brand that makes a, you know, Chassonet Montrachet. So, you know, I, I still want people to be able to, um, be educated on, you know, Italian wines and French wines and, you know, other wines. But um, I definitely, that's that's definitely a part of um, the program that we will be putting together. So, yeah, yeah. Um, hopefully one day we'll be having another conversation and, um, you know, I'll, I'll have a hotel that I can invite you to. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I, mean, I, I love the whole concept of food and wine pairing. And I think it is another way to break down some of those walls. You know, if you grow up eating food that isn't sort of traditionally paired with wine. It's a lot of fun to teach people how to pair wine with spicy food or, you know, vegetarian food or different things. I, I love doing cross-cultural wine pairings where you've got a French wine with, you know, an Asian dish, things like that. And it does, it gets people talking, it gets people excited, and it does break down a lot of barriers. So, Food and wine really do have a, a power that um, not a lot of other things do at the moment. So it's I can see why you love it. So before we go, I want to have a little bit of fun with this uh, chat. I hear you've had a foray into acting in the film Money Loves. How did that come about? Would would you go down the acting route? Um, you know what? I, that, that's something that I've thought about before, and I'm 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 fairly close to some people who are in the industry, so. I've been on some movie sets before and I, I see how, how it works. Yeah, I, I, I think me is just a challenge. It's like taking on a new challenge and, and, and be able, you know, to, um, you know, to come out on top of that challenge. Um, I would love to do it. And that's another thing that happened. Ebony, you know, Ebony just being a go-getter, like calling me like, hey, I need an extra in the film. Um, I need you to be, you know, at, you know, at, at, you know, I need you to be here. I'm like, oh my goodness, man! Like, you you have no idea what I'm doing today. 
you just called me, you know, to, to, to fill in a spot. So when I got there, I'm thinking that I'm going to be an extra. And she's like, listen, I need you to get behind the bar. I need you to be a psalm. I need you to basically teach a class. And, you know, we're going to get you, you know, we're going to film you teaching a class. I'm like, are you serious? Are you serious? So I'm a big sister. I know what sisters are like. <laughs> yeah. So I, I basically had to, you know, walk in the building and just turn the light switch on and do what it is that we do, you know, every week. And um, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. And I actually got it right on the first take. Oh, fantastic. Amazing. Yes, yes. You know, so I, I walked away from there, you know, feeling very accomplished. So, yeah, I would I would definitely I would definitely um, go down that road if I got the opportunity or if I just had the time to focus on it. You know, right now, you know, with wine and, you know, you hear me, I'm trying to I'm trying to open a hotel. Like, I don't know if I have time for for an acting gig right there. <laughs> well, you just never know. You never know. And, and now you've basically become like the cool, good looking guy in the restaurant when you were on your date drinking your <laughs> your Sauvignon. Yeah, you've become that guy. So it's really that's a great opportunity to really, you know, as you said, use your voice, be a role model, show people, um, you know, that that it's possible. That could be them, too. Um, you never know. You might be inspiring some other poor guy who wants to go out with two women. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I I want to know. I've been mean, talking about the wine and food thing, you know. Also, I know you're pescatarian, so you know when nobody's watching you and and you're not, you know, needing to put on a show for anybody. You know, what are you drinking? What are your top wines to play around with for pairing with fish? Oh man, my top wine. So, um, of course, you know, I went down a, a, a Bordeaux wormhole, but I cannot pair that with fish. Um, so what I've got into lately are Oregon Pinot Noirs. Um, I eat a lot of salmon and I eat a lot of like, you know, dense fish like halibut. So I do an Oregon Pinot Noir, you know, it's, it's, it's light enough, it's fruity enough, but then it still has some structure to it. And, you know, the, the fish won't overpower it. And I love, uh, Chablis and I, and, and like I just mentioned before, like, uh, Chassonet, like I love Chassonet Montrachet. Uh, one of my favorites. Yes. Yes. I, um, I have a friend who's an importer and he had a launch event and he literally, he sold me a few of his bottles, but he sold them to me at like retail, like, uh, like, like wholesale price. Oh, good friend to have. Yes, exactly. So I, I, I purchased maybe like four of them and I only spent like I want to say $185. Wow. Bargain. Yes. So, you know, um, I, I fell in love the day that I tasted that. So, um, yeah, those are my two whites that I probably go with in terms of, um, you know, my diet. Chablis a little more because, you know, Chablis is a little more affordable than <laughs> purchasing a Chassonet. So, you know, whenever I can get my hands on one, I, I definitely will. But I, I keep I keep Chablis and I keep uh, Pinot Noir around the house. Yes. House wines. It's important. <laughs> well, my, my famous final question before I let you go back to your um, day off is what's your favorite Italian wine? Favorite Italian wine. So I have a couple of favorites. Um, some of them are like tried and true, but some of them I'm like experimenting with. So um, Brunello, you, you can't go wrong with Brunello. No, you cannot. Um, the first time I had a Brunello, it was like a 2000 and I want to say 10. So my first experience with a Brunello was amazing. 
and it's you know it's up there with some of those bigger wines but it's not as it's not as harsh you know you it's still kind of fruity so i love brunello i just got into sagrantino oh wow that's a big wine yeah yeah my um my 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 winemaker friend he um he had put me onto sagrantino i love it i'm still experimenting with it but um i've probably had it about i want to say 3 times now and i enjoyed all of them so it's just something that I'm playing around with right now, um, you know, wrapping my head around um, everyday drinking, Barbera, hands down. Good choice. Yes. You know, just juicy, easy drinking, pop it open. Uh, I love Barbera. And the new Italian wine that I'm trying out now is uh, is a, is a Tarassi, you know, Alianico. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. Campania. Yes, yes. I um. I purchased one a couple, maybe about a year ago, uh, 2008, and I didn't open it. But from that time, I've had some that were around like 16, 17, and I loved them. So now I'm like curious of what this 2008 is going to taste like. Um, after I had these uh, 16s and 17s, it's still sitting in my basement right now. So, um, well, Alianico ages well, so you're going to you're going to have a good surprise when you open that one. Yes. Yes. And I, I need a, I need a group of people because it's a it's a one point five liter. <laughs> I, need, I need some people around who really drink wine to experience this with me. So that'd be a, that'd be a good time. So, yeah, I, I, those are my those are my four Italians that I. I pretty much fell in love with and that I'm experimenting with right now. Well, if you're an Oregon Pinot Noir guy, I've got to point you towards Mount Etna Narello Mascalese from Sicily. Yes. Okay. You got to get your hands on some of that and see what you think. Yes. I had one in school, but, you know, it was only like a two ounce pour. So I couldn't really, you know, I couldn't really experience it. Tragedy. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I have to I have to dive into that. Thank you for that uh, recommendation. Well, this has been such a great conversation, Lamar. I really appreciate you taking your time out and getting up early to chat with me. Uh, thank you so much. And I wish you all the best, both for CYL, but really for Black Oak as well. Um, anything that that has education at its heart is something that I really love. So um, I've got a lot of, a lot of uh, good thoughts going your way for Black Oak. Oh, thank you as well. I appreciate the opportunity. It's kind of overwhelming because I'm like the I'm like the new kid on the block. You know, I, I I went through a lot of the episodes that you guys have, and a lot of these people they're like 20 year industry veterans, and I'm like, wow, okay, how did I uh, how did I get this opportunity? <laughs> so, uh, because I hunt I hunt everybody down. I love talking to everyone. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 important for me to talk to people who are new to the business because you've got a different perspective, and that's really crucial. Yes. Yes, I'm very humbled by the opportunity. I, I, again, um, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Well, it was my pleasure. You have a great day. All right, you too. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Vinitali International Wine and Spirits Exhibition, the biggest drinks trade fair in the world. Save the date. The next edition of Vinitali will be held the 2nd through the 5th of April, 2023. Remember to subscribe to Italian Wine Podcast and catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. You can also find us at italianwinepodcast.com. Chin chin. Hi, guys.
guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.